Hey, this is Ed Stetzer Live, and I'm Ed Stetzer, but we are not right now live. We're actually pre-recorded. Uh, well, we're live. I mean, my guests and I are live, and we're going to have a great conversation today. Uh, but we want to uh, jump right into our conversation with him. I'm going to introduce him more, but I just want to let you know that we were not taking calls today. That's basically why I tell you that, that we're not taking calls today. Let me tell you about our, our guests, and we'll jump into our uh, really, I think it'll be a productive and helpful conversation for you. Uh Samuel Rodriguez is officially, we all know him as Samuel Rodriguez. He's the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. Uh, he's been named among the top 100 Christian leaders in America, um, 100 most influential people in the world, but nominated as such by Time Magazine. He's advised uh, former presidents Bush, Obama, and Trump, consults with uh, Congress on issues of immigration reform, criminal justice reform, various pro-life and religious freedom initiatives. Um, he's a senior pastor of New Season. It's a multi-ethnic church in California. Uh, several books, including his latest, uh, Persevere with Power, What Heaven Starts, Hell Cannot Stop. And I would say, most importantly, I'm happy to call him a friend of, of many years and many different contexts. I've had the privilege of being at the uh, the conference there that they do and more, and really deeply thankful for, for Sammy. So, Sammy, thanks for joining us on the program. We appreciate it. I'm truly honored to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, good. It's always good to chat with you. So let's just begin with, you know, one of the things, obviously, we have a radio program. So when a new book comes out, we're like, okay, someone's got a new, fresh word that might exhort God's people. And that's what I, that's how I would describe Persevere with Power, what heaven starts, hell cannot stop. It's about embracing the unique call God places on our lives. And I'd like to kind of start a little bit with you. How would you describe your own personal discovery of God's call on your life? I grew up in a very strong evangelical home. My parents are not preachers. My dad is a Mac, was a Mack truck worker. He's retired now. Um, but I grew up in a home where uh, raised in, in a Judeo-Christian value system, but it was strong affinity for mathematics and science. My parents are not preachers again. Um, so I grew up as an evangelical agnostic. And, and in the Assembly of God Church at the age of 14, it's when I had my first encounter with, quote-unquote, the college. I had this guy who I'd never met before in my entire life, a Teen Challenge choir director. His name was Bernie. This is 1980s, right? Bernie was a cool name back then. Um, so Bernie, <laughs> Ber Ber Bernie interrupts this song um, in the middle. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. And, and he stops the song midstream and says, there's a Sammy in this auditorium. And, and I, really impress, I feel impressed by the Lord about, about a Sammy being present here. And um, just, you know, I was the only Sammy. My dad's the other Samuel, uh, the only Sammy. And he even said a young Samuel, Sammy. Uh, my pastor said, Sammy, that, that's you. And the guy looked at me in front of everyone, including a young lady who witnessed it all, who said, if this is accurate, I'm going to marry that guy. That's my wife of 32 <laughs> years now. Wow. Um, so, you know, my, my parents, my church witnessed it. And the guy just said, Sammy, God has a great calling upon your life. And in, included in that calling, I really see it in my spirit, you praying over presidents. Presidents, he said. You praying over presidents, and you doing some amazing things for God. And, and at the age of 14, I was marked with this, so I'm not going to be an IBM computer engineer? You know, mm. there was a, a, a flip of the script, and it began that embracing of there's a purpose and a calling for each individual. And through the vicarious atoning work of Christ, when we receive the fullness of the finished work of Christ, we can really exercise that calling. Hmm. Fascinating. Okay. And, and 
Um, I love the journey that you have been on, you know, the, um, you know, to see how God has, has uh, placed you in places and you've sought to use your influence for those purposes. But, you know, one of the things we could start this conversation and people would say, I don't have a story like that at all. In other words, I, you know, I, I, you know, Sammy Rodriguez, God has used in significant ways, but the book kind of helps us to see that this is not just for someone like you, um, but uh, and persevere with power. Um, it's something that all of us have this unique call on our lives as well. So, so start to lay out some of the theme that's there. Maybe let's start with this. Let's because you, you talk about Elijah and Elisha from the Old Testament to your own life. Let's go there and let's talk about how it relates to other people's lives. Go ahead. We we find this man. This is a movie set right here. We find this man named Elisha. He's pushing a plow. First Kings nineteen nineteen. He's literally pushing a plow. That's his job. Every single day, with the exception of the day of rest, the Sabbath, Elisha, being who he was in his home, his household, with his parents, he would have to push the plow, break the ground, sow the seed with his family. So he's a plow pusher. Elijah is the rock star prophet of the age. And I mean, this man had a reputation that exceeded any Facebook account. He was the rock star prophet. And very, very controversial. He would confront Ahab. Ahab had it. Ahab was a king, by the way, who was married to a very interesting woman. Her name was Jezebel. The word interesting is an understatement. She was wicked, arguably one of the most wicked people that we find in all the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And, and Elijah has his personal beef with Ahab, but more even more with Jezebel. He, has, he goes through this encounter. Elijah does. He's the most famous prophet in the world. Comes along. Uh, Jezebel threatens his life. He goes into a cave. He fights depression and anxiety. He really does sound familiar. He fights depression and anxiety. God speaks to him about Elisha. He takes his mantle. He would wear this mantle, which is kind of a, of a jacket slash raincoat that would indicate it was the indicative physical sort of vestige that would mark him as the prophet. He took that mantle, that religious robe he wore, and prophetic robe, and he placed it upon Elisha, who was pushing the plow, and walked away. There's no mention, Ed, of any conversation at that moment, by the way. None. Hmm. Zero conversation. Do your biblical due diligence. There's just a man pushing the plow. The most famous prophet in the world comes over, places his mantle, his cloak upon him, and walks away. That's the heart of the book. The heart of the book is every plow pusher, and you so eloquently stated the framework, it's not just for those that are achieving things in spheres of influence that, that are, they, they are only there like yours truly by the grace of God. But it, it's for every plow pusher. You know what it is to push life's proverbial plow in your home. Mm. How about with your family? How about in your marriage? How about the plow, of the, the children's plow? I, I've had issues with my children. They're, they're adult children now. But we have plow pushing in our family with our children. Our concerns are about our children or our children's children. Health. Look now, coming out of this COVID, so many things. You push the plow. For every plow pusher, this is what this book was written for. Better yet, who this book was written for, every plow pusher. Because every plow pusher is through a relationship with Jesus. If you push the plow, you will receive that mantle of promotion. Let me substantiate that. Galatians yeah. Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary of doing what is right. At the appointed time, you will reap a harvest of blessings for not giving up. That's the plow pusher right there. And, and that's why this book is so personal uh, for me, for my life, for my family, what we've been through in our journey. Uh, if, you, if you've been pushing the plow, you can expect to carry the mantle. Okay, pushing the plow, carry the mantle is a kind of a recurring theme uh, throughout the book. And, you know, those kind of pictorial representations are 
are uh, are powerful to people. I mean, they they can look to the scriptures and see this. Um, so how do we, you know, take mantles on ourselves? You know, we, we, we talk about power, patience, provision, holy confrontation, right? Spiritual momentum. Uh, how do we walk in the fullness of, of what God is? I mean, as you kind of explain the book, what God is calling us to experience. Tell us. Right, right. The mantle is not a literal piece of cloth. Or, of course, we know that. It's yeah, yeah, a metaphor. Yeah. Right. It, it's a calling. It's, it's a, your purpose. How do we receive that? It is through faith. It begins with a strong, solid relationship with the finished work of Christ, with the fullness of Christ, the crucifixion, the resurrection. It's salvation, embracing the fact that Christ did it all, paid it all. You walk with that saving grace of Jesus. Second, you grow in his word, in his promises, in his presence. You grow. You grow in his word. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, John 15, 7. You grow in his word. You be, biblical literacy you know, increases in your life exponentially. You're going to see more clarity regarding your mantle. So your level, your, your bandwidth regarding the word of God, scripture, uh, will enable you to see every single day in a more clear manner the mantle, the calling. Clarity comes via the conduit of you growing in the word and the presence of God. These things are important. And then you live out the Word of God. You live out what the Spirit of God is driving you to live out, which is Galatians 5.16. You live that out. You live it out every single day. And acts of compassion, acts of love. And then you no longer are obsessed. The thing about the mantle is it's not the self-absorbed sort of pseudo-quasi-humanistic, the gospel is about me kind of message that inundates our current uh, you know, religious preaching landscape to a great degree. Uh, it's become, I, are, I call it narcissistic gospel messages, where, where it becomes exclusively about me and my breakthrough, me and my blessing. It's not that. It's vertical. It's about the fullness of Christ. And then you can go horizontal and apply the fullness of Christ towards your life and your family. And it explains that. Let me give you one example. When I received my mantle, or better yet, when I received my mantle, when I had clarity regarding the mantle, my prayer life changed. Instead of Sammy going, Lord, I really need you to bless me and bless my family and bless my circumstance, it pivoted to, Lord, I want you to make me a blessing to everyone I meet. To everyone I meet, make me a blessing. Make me a blessing to this broken world. Make me a blessing to broken people. Even if I myself need a blessing, just make me a blessing. And Lord, make me an answered prayer. So it it pivots you. It pivots you to become more cognizant of the circumstances around you, to the people around you, to your community, and to serve and to love and to share the hope of Christ, which is who he is, the hope of glory. Hmm. You know, I I think think some people will—I mean, the book is very much driven around the idea of mantle. Which I'm tracking with you, right? I get, I get what you're saying. Some people, you know, that that's more common. You, you mentioned me, some as a God Pentecostal tradition. Um, I came to Christ in the charismatic movement. Um, the that language is less common outside of the Pentecostal charismatic tradition, where many of our listeners may be. So, but you keep coming back to mentioning calling. So, how? I mean, help us, help us to hear what calling is related to mantle and what mantle is related to calling. So we're all talking the same language as we kind of finish up the first segment here. Yeah, arguably, I, I'm a Baptocostal, and, and I spend <laughs> half my time in, in non-charismatic settings as it pertains to yep. major conferences and speaking engagements. And I've shared this message in leadership, and they embraced it because they understood the biblical metaphorical application. That calling, you're called to be a teacher. It's not just a you know, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, exhorter. It's not just the stuff we see on stage and, and in the church ecclesiastical sort of rubric or, and, and, and platform setting, the programming. It's teacher. It's lawyer. 
It's doctor. You're, there are callings for you to engage your local school board right now um, and, and, and advocate for your children and advocate for the values that, that we hold near and dear. These are all callings. So the calling, we can't be myopic. We can't have myopia and regarding callings and just identify them exclusively within the kingdom realm as we see in the book of Ephesians and Corinthians, which are legitimate church callings, church offices, ministries, giftings. But there's, there are callings out there. We do it. We live it out. We literally change the world around us. And we're going to talk more with Sammy Rodriguez in just a moment. We're talking about his new book, Persevere with Power, What Heaven Starts, Hell Cannot Stop. We're talking about calling in mantle in just a moment. We're going to continue our conversation with him in just a moment. And I want to jump in and ask some about how we ultimately break cycles of dependency. How do we walk in faithfully with the calling God has for us? We'll continue our conversation in just a moment. As believers in Jesus, we know our citizenship on earth is actually temporary. But the days can be challenging navigating a world in cultural decline. A.W. Tozer brings help and encouragement in his book, Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. He tackles the how-to of confronting and battling worldliness while we live in anticipation of heaven. Be better equipped to take on each day. Read Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. Your copy is at moodypublishers.com. Hey, we're back. Uh, Ed Stetzer live. We're this is a pre-recorded show, so we're not taking your calls, but we're still providing you, I think, some great and helpful content. Our guest today is Sammy Rodriguez. He leads the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. Um, we're talking about his new book. Um, I think we haven't gotten the title yet. We're going to get to that in a bit, but it's Persevere with Power. What heaven starts, hell cannot stop. We talk some about walking in your calling. Your mantle is the metaphor that you've drawn from Scripture to unpack that. One of the things you talk about in the book is um, breaking the cycle of dependency. Um, and, you know, there's there's all kinds of, you know, dependence, independence, interdependence. You know, we, I want to kind of maybe have you unpack some of the practical ways to doing this and how does it relate to our personal independence and dependence on God? Just walk us through some of these ideas of dependency. I address the issue of dependency as an impediment to the fullness of your calling, quote unquote, the mantle. What is dependency, of course? We are to depend on each other to a great degree. We're part of this great collective human experience. But when that dependency becomes unhealthy, uh, that's when we see captivity. Dependency leads to captivity. If it's an unhealthy level of dependency, if you're dependent on the wrong people. Matter of fact, in the book, I, I have this enclosure uh, that I address, which is you have to be very careful who you give access to in your life. We have this reality more in Generation Z emerging, a little bit less in the millennials. Uh, but Generation Z, wonderful generation. I do believe that generation is going to do great things. Uh, but that generation has this issue of what they term vulnerability. It, it's, a, it's a coin phrase in Generation Z and in the uh, younger portion, millennial generation. Let's be vulnerable. Let's be dependent on one another, and let's be vulnerable and constant vulnerability. And I have stated that vulnerability and dependency – with the wrong people leads to captivity. Vulnerability in the presence of God leads to victory. So we have to be careful. Don't grant everyone access to your prayers. Don't. This is what I learned from Scripture. Don't grant everyone access to your dreams, Joseph, and, and don't grant everyone access to your wounds. You should grant access to people who can handle both the bless you and the broken you, the messy you and the miraculous you. So we have to be careful. Psalm 62 verse 5, a, a translated version says the following. Depend on God alone. 
We have to be careful. Let's depend on God. Depend on the finished work of Christ. Depend on his strength. Depend, depend on his promises, his beauty, his grace, his understanding, his sovereign will for us. The fact that Romans 8, 28 is one of the verses every Christian should memorize, that God will make all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So just embrace that. Make sure you're not dependent on individuals who may be surrounding you with a toxic environment and holding down the fullness and the fulfillment of your calling. Fascinating. Okay. So what are some ways, you know, because obviously there are some dependencies here. You've referenced some in the book. Um, what are some practical ways to break that cycle of dependency? If I'm agreeing with you, I'm saying, yes, we need to be dependent on God. We'll be interdependent with others. But that cycle of dependency is a negative thing. But what are some ways to break that cycle? You break it with, with intentionality. You, 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 so you have to be intentional about it. You have to acknowledge it. You have to look at your current scenario and say whether or not you have relationships that are unhealthy, that are out of alignment with the Word of God, the will of God, and the Spirit of God. So once you acknowledge that, then, then you confront it in a very loving, uh, truthful manner. But, but it's, it, it, you have to confront it. There has to come a moment uh, where you confront it and address it, again, in a very nuanced, loving, truthful manner. The word whimsical may or may not apply, but you have to do it, um, it's, especially in certain family dynamics, be it extended family and so forth. Uh, there, there comes a time where you have to have some strong conversations. Uh, so it has to be done. And the second thing you do is, is you cover it all, you bathe it all in prayerful deliberation. And, and actually, that should lead the way. Uh, before you have that conversation, make sure you cover it in prayerful deliberation. Uh, b- because, again, let you and I believe by faith through Christ that, that God answers prayers. And because we believe in the Word of God and we believe in His promises, that God will saturate that conversation with His Spirit, and He will soften the heart of the recipient of your words. But it is so critical. Even, even Ed, across the board, the issue of depending right now in, in light of our current landscape, depending on a government for absolutely everything, it's, it's antithetical to Scripture. Uncle Sam may be our uncle, but he is not our Heavenly Father. And we can't engage in some sort of new replacement theological worldview where we replace God with government. And that's scary. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're depending on others to really tell us when to be happy, how to be happy, how to proceed. And I know we're living in strange times. The word unprecedented has been exploited to a great degree. We're living in strange times. I would argue there have been stranger times in the past throughout the course of human history. But we're living in strange times, so we have to just walk softly, trust God and understand that faith is trusting God when life makes no sense. Mm. What, okay, one, so trusting one God, God, please, yeah. One little crazy story. In the story about Elijah, uh, Elijah has this servant, this unnamed servant. The man's name is never mentioned. Servant. They call him his servant. So Elijah has this servant. Elijah, crazy prophet, just radical. This man was just, he would pray for a drought and the heavens shut up. Then he prayed for fire. And then after the fire, he says, all right, it's time. Let me show this guy who the real God is, the one I serve. Let me pray for rain. So he looks at his servant and says, listen, I'm praying for rain now. I'm going to go pray for rain. Your job is to look for any sign of rain. Look for a cloud. The servant goes up to the mountain, looks for a cloud, no cloud, no cloud. The seventh time, the servant comes down and says, hey, I don't see a big cloud. I don't think it's going to rain, but I see a cloud, and it's the size of a man's fist. Elijah says, that's all we've been waiting for. Let's tell the king to run. There's a great rain coming. I hear the sound of abundant rain, literally what he stated. 
This servant kept on looking for a cloud, never gave up, working for Elijah, never complained. Again, First Kings 18, do your biblical due diligence, kept on looking. You want to depend on that kind of person. You want to, you want to depend on people who will run with your vision, and, and they're not critiquing it even when they see nothing. When they don't see the fruition of your vision, they keep on looking for the fulfillment of your vision because they trust the calling upon your life to such a degree that they really believe it's going to happen because they've seen it before. That's who you need to surround yourself with. People who look for the cloud, even when there is no cloud, but they'll keep on looking until they see a cloud. And once they tell you there's a cloud, you don't need to verify it. Elijah never went up to the mountain to confirm he saw a cloud. Elijah ran and acted based on the information his servant saw. I love that relation, that relational dynamic. It speaks about the level of trust, the level of healthy dependency, the level of surrounding yourself with the right people. I love that. Hmm. Fascinating. And I love, I, one of the things I love listening to you even on the radio is that I, I hear your sermons when you, when you talk on the radio and not, not, you know, not an over preach to me, but I'm just saying, I, 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 this is why people like to listen to you is you, uh, you draw out the vivid imagery. So, okay. So one of the things that, um, Christians often fear, he goes all the time is they'll miss out on God's plan, uh, for their lives, or maybe the God has overlooked them because they messed up. And now, you know, they're kind of in the penalty box. God's not going to use them. So, um, obviously there's a balance there. How do we balance our personal responsibility for our outcomes with our trust in God's timing for his plan? That is a phenomenal question. One of the best questions I've been asked regarding this book. It's a great question indeed. It's both and. Like many things in life, instead of creating a dichotomy, create a bridge. We, do, we are dichotomy creators right now. It's either or, right? Across the spectrum. You're either on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle. You're either this or that. Or this. And, and on many occasions, it's more like build a bridge because there's some elements here that I like and some elements here that I like. And it's both and. It's personal responsibility. You, you have to be, there is a calling for your life. The question is, can you jeopardize your calling? I would be um, not sound or not committed to Scripture if I would tell you, oh, absolutely, you can do whatever you want, and there's no consequences. That's anti-Scripture. It's not what the Bible teaches us. It's not what Jesus instructed us. It's not what the Apostle Paul wrote about. Yeah, there are consequences. So you have to be careful. Can those consequences be redeemed? Absolutely. Better yet, can the narrative be redeemed? The consequences are the consequences. But can the narrative be redeemed? Your eternal salvation through Christ, when you receive the fullness of Christ, John 10, 28, and 29, you're in his grip. You're in his grasp. So that's not what I'm referencing. I'm referencing the calling. Are there horizontal consequences, life consequences to our actions? Definitely. Can, can God intervene and redeem our mistakes? 100% yes. Now, if you make mistakes after you already acknowledge your mantle, that becomes a difficult journey. Nevertheless, all things are possible, especially with humility and genuine, authentic repentance. And the word repentance is still critical in 20, at this day and age. In this day and age, that word still matters. And even the word, a biblical term, holiness, which means to live right according to the standards of God. These things matter. Here's what I discovered. Here's what I discovered. I discovered that when your integrity is more important than your influence, nothing can stop you. Mm. I discovered that when you're driven by anointing rather than ambition, nothing can stop you. I discovered that when your praise is louder than your pain, nothing can stop you. And I discovered that when your hunger for righteousness is greater than your fear of criticism, nothing can stop you. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect and pristine. We've all been washed through the vicarious atoning work of Christ, the redemptive beauty of, of God's forgiveness. 
But the moment we do things right and pursue righteousness, that calling and that mantle cannot be stopped. That's why it's critical that you discipline yourself, that, that you make sure you live according to the Word of God. And it's great because it's not about works that you have to take care of. You live a life led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is in you, First John five eighteen. Because you have that Spirit in you, you're no longer inclined to sin, and therefore you will not be harmed by any consequences of that sin. That's one of the most powerful passages in Scripture. I love that. So live a life filled with God's precious Holy Spirit, driven by God's Spirit, and you'll live the kind of life with your calling, which doesn't mean it's perfect. You're going to have issues. You're going to have moments. I, I almost lost my daughter because of COVID last year. Um, and, and so we're going to have challenges in life, but that the calling upon your life, the Spirit of God in your life as you walk in the finished work of Christ, I'm telling you, at the end of the day, you're going you're to have a smile on your face. You're going to go, praise be God for the privilege of serving him. And this is where the title, I think, comes in. The title of the book is Persevere with Power. Um, and I want to talk some about that. You know, the subtitle is What Heaven Starts, Hell Cannot Stop. So because um, right now people are, you know, this has been a really hard couple of years for people. And uh, a lot of people are willing to give up, think about giving up, um, you know, and, and with mental health issues and and uh, and struggle and depression is real. And the, the just the just the fact that we're just not sure in many ways what the future holds. Um, you know, your, your book is very strong on exhortation and, you know, encouraging people to press forward. Uh, but the power is key, too. This is not something that is a pull up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There's certainly a sense that you, you've got to make some right decisions here. But talk to us about even the title, Persevere with Power. How are those two words related? And we're going to give you just 30 seconds here. But then on the other side, I want to jump into a little more. Give us a little introduction. It's not just perseverance. It's perseverance with power, not perseverance. Uh, with surrenderance of thought ideas. The battle is between the mind and the mantle. If you persevere with power, you will overcome. We're going to continue our conversation with Sammy Rodriguez in just a second. And we're talking with his about his new book, Persevere with Power. Stay with us. We'll continue in just a moment. Okay, it's Stetzer Live. We are um, here. This is a pre-recorded show, but uh, live to you, right? So we're having this conversation right now. We're just not taking your calls, is my point. But we're having a fascinating conversation with Sammy Rodriguez, Samuel Rodriguez, when I want to be more formal. Um, and his book is Persevere with Power. And boy, in a time when so many people are discouraged and weary, he's taken this 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 book, built around the idea of Elisha's faithfulness, um, and really what it means to persevere in what has been some really challenging times. I'm not even just talking about COVID. I'm talking about economic challenges and political division and, 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 and racial injustice and unrest. And how do we respond to all of these things? And, 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 and all this is led to a lot of people into a time of discouragement. And yet Sammy's calling us to uh, trust the Lord, to walk in our calling, our mantle, and to persevere with power. We just briefly touched on that uh, before we got to the bottom of the hour break, but I want to come back to that because you, you, you did. It's not just persevere. It's persevere with power. It's not just power, but it takes perseverance. What, give us how that might walk out and, in our lives. And first of all, let me give you the corporate sort of walking it out. It's not just perseverance. It's not the idea of you're pushing the plow, you're persevering, but your head is you know, slouched over and your woe is me. Uh, and I get it. We all go through things, and there are legitimate moments where we mourn and we weep. But even the psalmist said that mourning will last for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. 
So here it is. In, in order for us to persevere with power, even the collective church, we have to reconcile our eschatology of our missiology. We really do. So every single person who says, but things are going to get darker. This is part of the last days. And, you know, my eschatological dispensationalist worldview tells me that we, Christ is coming and things are going to get darker right before he comes. So this is inevitable. And it doesn't matter what any preacher preaches. Things are going to hell in a handbasket and they're going to go from worse to worse. Well, we got to reconcile our eschatology over missiology, which means what? He okay, you got to. Okay, but you, you got to explain eschatology and missiology because not everyone uses those oh, terms. But no, go ahead. The, the, for the audience, the the, the end of days teachings, um, the, your eschatological worldview, which means the coming of the Lord. What does it look like? The latter days. Uh, uh, you know, looking at the Book of Daniel and Revelation primarily, uh, but likewise cross-referencing verses from the Gospel of Matthew. So it's basically every person from the 1830s up that has been the meta-narrative of evangelicalism. The strong underlying pinning teaching has been crisis coming any moment now. So here it is. It, it includes the rapture. It includes a number of things. Again, I adhere to biblical orthodoxy that I see in creed. I do believe Christ is coming inevitably. Of course, we all do. However, what, how do we reckon? What's missiology? Our mission in the meantime. So what am I saying? He is coming back, but ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, he's not coming back for a defeated church. He's not coming back for a whining church. He's not coming back for a church in a fetal position, complaining about everything. He's coming back, according to the Apostle Paul, for a glorious church, a triumphant church, Greek exegete of the passage, a victorious church, a shining church, a holy, righteous church without wrinkles or stains. That's who he's coming back for. So we really got to do away with this. It doesn't really matter what we preach and teach. Things are going to get worse. The church must be light in the midst of darkness. If you're a believer, be light in the midst of darkness. What are we going to do, Ed? Are we going to complain about the darkness in perpetuity? All we're going to do is walk into rooms and go, it's dark in here. Oh, isn't it dark? What would the Baptists do? They pray about it, right? And they teach about it. The charismatics go in there and they start rebuking and get oil and lay hands on the darkness. Why don't we all just come together and turn on the light? If we turn on the light, we save a lot of time, folks. More importantly, we save a lot of people. So that's, that's the call of this book. Persevere with power. In your personal life, you could either embrace the doom and gloom of our current reality, or you could say enough is enough. I'm going to persevere for the sake of my children and my children's children. We really are going to live out and walk out this gospel message of faith and hope. And it's not super faith. It's not where faith becomes the centrality of it all. It's just dependent on the finished work of Christ, a relationship with Jesus that constantly infuses you, invigorates your spirit with hope and with the reality beyond hope with the action plan to live out and see the fullness of God in you, with you, and around you. And that's the message. That's persevering power. Uh, there's a story there. Why, why would I put a subtitle, When Heaven Starts and Hell Cannot Stop It? I referenced in the beginning of this conversation one of the most wicked characters in Scripture, Jezebel. And, Ed, you, you can't deny there is a Jezebelian spirit it, it right now alive on the planet. The Jezebelian spirit is the kind of spirit Jezebel would build Asherah poles. She would literally build these strong, very high structures in every village to remind the village people that they are subjects, that they are held captive. She was wicked. She would kill prophets and preachers. That's her, that's her, that's her calling. That's her job was to kill prophets, not from God, but from the very pit of hell 
to kill the prophetic voices, the oracles of righteousness and justice. Jezebel hears about Elijah and what he did on the mountaintop with her husband when he prayed down fire. And she says the following, I swear by my gods, in 24 hours, Elijah will be dead. The man with the mantle is going to die in 24 hours. That's 1 Kings 19.2. I call that prophylline. It sounded like a prophecy, but it was a lie. So she prophesied. Okay. Prophesied. She. I swear by my God, it sounded really prophetic, right? She says, "In 24 hours, I promise you, this man's going to be dead." So she prophesied. Elijah. 24 hours came. Elijah did not die. A week passed. Elijah did not die. What if I tell you a month passed? He did not die. What if I tell you a thousand years passed? He did not die. What if I tell you it's been 2,800 years since Jezebel prophesied? and declared the death of Elijah, and Elijah has yet to die. Elijah never died. Second Kings 2.11 says he was picked up in the whirlwind, a chariot of fire. The next time we see him is Matthew 17.2, when he's next to Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. He has yet to die. Isn't that wild? The opposite took place. When heaven starts, and hell cannot stop it. Heaven started a plan in Elijah's life. Hell cannot stop it. Heaven has started already a plan. Heaven has commenced a plan in many of your listeners. If they have a relationship with Jesus, definitely, according to Philippians 1.6, there's a plan already in place. And he will finish the good work he has started. That's why you have to have hope for your children, your family members. You have to have hope for your generation and even your nation that when heaven starts, it, hell cannot stop it. Hmm. Okay, plan calling, mantle, we're using these words a lot. And uh, one of the things that people maybe, I mean, you kind of, you've got this pretty dramatic story, you know, where, where, you know, someone calls you out, says you're going to, and you have prayed with presidents and that kind of stuff. Most of us, and and I would say too, you know, knowing you, you didn't go from that moment as a kid in a youth group to, you know, here today, there were fits and starts and directions and redirections, but um, how do we, um, walk in that calling and direction? Is it like a linear thing? Is it, uh, is it jump around a bit? I mean, how do, we, how do we trust the Lord in the midst of that journey? You pursue him. How, this is going to sound antithetical to a great degree. What if I tell you you pursue him and the calling will catch up? There's, there's nothing in Scripture that says that Elisha was pursuing Elijah. Zero. Not one moment. Not one evidence. He was pushing his plow. So you pursue righteousness, you pursue him, you pursue Christ, and, and that calling will make itself manifest if you make room for it. So you, it, it does require you to acknowledge, I have a calling, I may not know every single detail, I haven't dotted the I's and crossed the T's, however, I'm going to pursue him. And while I pursue him, because of my relationship with God, because I am filled with his spirit, and he's leading me, uh, that calling is going to become more and more clear every single day. And, and I would argue many people are already living out their callings in, in their jobs, in their careers, in their homes, in their relationships. But, but you, you pursue him, and that calling becomes something that, that has more clarity, that, that it becomes more transcendent and, and transformational in each respect of life. Hmm. And you, uh, you talk some about that. You talk about what it looks like to walk in that. And sometimes that does require perseverance. There are circumstances hold us back. Sometimes they're out of our control. So how do we persevere in those kind of instances? And you persevere, it, it requires you to really get up. It requires you to have all the audacious faith. It does require you to, to actually put your head up. Uh, I love the way the, uh, the psalmist, David, 
writing in the Psalms on multiple occasions when, when Israel was under assault, there are three occasions where he actually specifically said, there are things you have to lift up. You have to lift up your head, lift up your head, and open up the gates, and the king of glory will come in. It was prophetic, by the way, but it was actually actual. So lift up your head, lift up your voice, to lift up your voices. You have to lift up your head, lift up your voices, and he said, lift up your hands and surrender and set it to worship. So he has these three expressions of what you have to lift up. It, it requires a deliberative spirit. What do we do? Are we going to walk down with our heads you know, slouched over in perpetual depressive mode, quasi-depression, uh, anxiety, and so forth? It, the battle, Ed, is not what people think. People think the battle right now is between political ideologies. It's not. The battle is not between donkeys and elephants. It's between the serpent and the lamb. The real battle is between the mind and the mantle. I'll repeat that. The battle is between your mind and your mantle. The battle is between the thoughts going through your head and the calling upon your life. That's the battle. And if we acknowledge that and surrender to God, who is the Lord of the battle, Second Chronicles 2015, we will have victory. We will overcome. Good to hear our conversation with Sammy Rodriguez in just a moment. We're talking uh, with him about his new book, Persevere with Power, What Heaven Starts, Hell Cannot Stop. Stay with us. One final segment. Hey, we're back. Um, Ed Stetzer Live. We're at pre-recorded programs. We're not taking your calls, but we're having a great conversation with Sammy Rodriguez. Um, we're talking about his new book. Um, well, I guess we're not talking about just his new book. We're talking about the whole idea of persevering in really difficult times. The book is called Persevere with Power, What Heaven Starts, Hell Cannot Stop. And, you know, when we're pursuing, you know, you mentioned pursuing the Lord. We're talking about walking in our calling. We're talking about walking and using that biblical picture of a mantle and more. But, you know, one of the things in the world we live in today is, man, you can get criticized, you can get canceled, you can get whatever. Um, and yet you point to, in the book, Elijah and Elisha and as examples. So how, considering their stories and your application of them, how should we go about responding to criticism today? Yeah, I want to remind everyone here that your salvation and your calling cannot be canceled. You can't be deplatformed. You can't be defunded. You can't be stopped. So as it pertains to your salvation and your calling, first comes your salvation, your relationship with Jesus. Subsequently, your calling, the fulfillment of your God-ordained purpose, Romans chapter 8, cannot be canceled. It cannot be deplatformed. It can't be defunded. It cannot be stopped. But we will be criticized. I remember Chuck Colson looking at me one time, and he was, he was mentoring me a bit in, in, his latter, in his later years. And he said, Sammy, I want you to hear this carefully. In the beginning, you're always going to be a countercultural narrative. That's what the gospel is. And if you, and if you carry something from heaven, you, you're going to get criticized. Then you engage people because then people are going to get curious and go like, why are so many people talking about him negatively? Then people are going to engage you. And then from cultural engagement, he talked about cultural reformation. So that, that stuck with me like forever. And, and criticism as part of this. I mean, Elijah was criticized. Elisha was so criticized. They even criticized the way he looked and the lack of hair thereof. Um, and even Elisha was criticized. So it's part of your journey, especially in a world full of darkness. Criticism is part of what we go through. Nevertheless, once again, it, when your hunger for righteousness is greater than your fear of criticism, nothing can stop you. Really, nothing can stop you. It's not hype. It's not like, well, that's positive confession. No, it isn't. It's biblically substantiated from Genesis all the way down to Revelation. That's how we overcome. 
by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And there it is. It can't stop us. So let not your heart be troubled. It's faith over fear. Yeah, and, and I think you, you mentioned it's not positive thinking. I think that there's no. going to be um, somebody who said, well, you know, he's telling me to you know buck up and press on. But in the book, you're pointing to biblical realities and, and, you know, quoting lots of verses even here, the pastor in you comes out when we have these conversations. So, I mean, there is a place for the Christian to take solace in the midst of difficult times and then to find strength to move forward. Um, but, but I think sometimes people are unsure, like, I don't want to just get into a rah-rah campaign, but at the same time, yeah. there is scriptural teaching that points us to find, to persevere with power, to find strength to walk in difficult times. Uh, why, why are we, why, why, why do we respond so often? Well, that's, you know, positive thinking. I mean, where, where, where's, where, where are we not seeing rightly from Scripture? It's, it's cynicism. We, we, we become cynical because we've always, because we've likewise seen the rah-rah and the super hype. And we've seen the emotional exuberant manifestations of sectors and segments of Christendom that are over the top, that are out of alignment with Scripture and not in a healthy balance. So I, I could do the rah-rah only if I likewise embrace the whisper. And, and so I'm, Sam Rodriguez believes that God speaks to me not necessarily from a microphone with all decibels resonating in my eardrums, right? Uh, I'm, I'm one that believes that God speaks to me more likely through a quiet whisper. So the God of the whisper is the God that invigorates me with his spirit so I can go rah-rah and tell the world, go get him, tiger. But it's that healthy balance. It's about, you know, pushing away on any vestige of extremism. Even in the way we listen to God, even in the messages we hear or preach, we have to make certain. So I, I'm telling everyone, persevere with power. But I'm, likewise, in the book I share with them, there will, there will come difficult times. There are times where Elijah is hiding in a cave, speaking to God, giving up his ministry. That actually happened, by the way, after his greatest achievement. So we've, I've, been, I've been there to a great degree. We all go through that journey, and that collective journey is what truly defines us. It's part of something we call life. Hmm. Hmm. And Tim and I will both say that, you know, as you're listening, if you're like, well, I can't I find myself in a dark place and ongoing depression and more, that we would encourage you to connect with your church so you can actually get with them to lead to some perhaps some mental health counseling. There are we're believers in those things. And so we're talking about those situations that are not, you know, mental health related, but maybe related to just a discouragement, right? We face trials and our health and our families and our spiritual lives, and we can get in a spiritual or emotional rut. Again, a little different than some of the mental illness issues that, that, that we both believe in and want to point people towards getting proper counseling and treatment for. But in those situations, how do we move out of the despondency, the, the, the being stuck in there? How do we move to one of hopefulness even in the midst of a difficult time? You, number one, by acknowledging there is a sovereign, mighty God who mm. actually cares for you. He actually does. He cares for you. He cares about your daily life. That's the first thing. That sovereign, mighty God, the architect of the entire universe, cares for you. He cares for you. He has a plan for you. The second thing you do is now that you know there's a mighty God who cares and has a plan for you, that there is a way. He, he laid out a process by which we can activate that plan. It's through faith, a relationship with Jesus, a faith-filled life where you, under, you actually believe him. You actually believe him for his promises. You believe him for what he stated in the book, what he, what he tells you through his spirit in your life. You actually listen to him. 
you have that relationship, that communicational modus operandi by which you hear instructions from heaven, not in a weird way, but in a wired way. It's an alignment with scripture. You hear from heaven, and then you walk out that plan. It's faith. I'll, I'll give you one, one little example. My wife, uh, she has this great grace for shopping. It is what it is. I can't deny it. Um, she has this great, unbelievable inclination for shopping. And I, I drop her off at our mall here in Northern California, the Roseville Galleria, and I drop her off in the parking lot, and she walks through the doors, right? Now, I park. I'm walking through the parking lot. The doors in the Roseville Galleria that the ones we go through are, are sensor doors. There are no doorknobs, no doorknobs. The doors automatically open. So I'm walking at, at a certain pace. I don't slow down. As I get to the sidewalk, Sammy does not slow down. The doors are still closed, by the way, Ed, but Sammy doesn't slow down. Why doesn't Sammy slow down? Because he has full expectation that when the sensor reads my presence, those doors will do what? They will open up in my favor. That's faith, that you're not led by the doors in front of you that are closed. Your negative circumstances around you do not define you. You continue to pursue righteousness. You walk in the way of the Lord. And you walk, you're knowing very well, full expectation, that everything Jesus said will come to pass. That his promises are yes and amen, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And it's more our amen to his yes, and Christ is the yes to all of his promises. So that's what I do. God has a plan for my life. He knows more than I do. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to keep on walking. Even when I see those ball doors closed, I'm going to keep on walking. Even when I hear things about my children or about my, my my community or about my nation or about this or that, even when that report doesn't come back the way that I think should, I'm going to keep on walking because I have full expectation in his promises. And, my, and the God seconds, that we Sammy. serve has never failed. Yeah, 30 seconds. I want you to tell me, um, right now, some people are listening and saying, man, I just feel like hell is trying to stop us from moving forward. How do we persevere with power? 30 seconds, last word. First Thessalonians 5.24, the God who called you, is the God who is faithful to sustain you. Right there it is. Hmm. Samuel Rodriguez. Samuel Rodriguez is the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. Um, his new book that we're talking about today is Persevere with Power, What Heaven Starts, Hell Cannot Stop. We've been friends for years, and I'm thankful for him coming on the program with us today. And again, we are we, we, we pre-recorded this, so we didn't take your calls this week, but we'll be back live next week and continue our conversation then as well. To hear today's program again, go to edstetzerlive.com or the Moody Radio app. You can connect with us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Ed Stetzer Live. And as always, we get to have these ongoing conversations to hopefully encourage you to do what the writer of Hebrews says, to provoke you to love and good deeds, help you live faithfully on mission, showing and sharing the love of Jesus, and walking faithfully in difficult times. And these are challenging and difficult times. So we're thankful for Sam coming on and talking with us about some of those things as well. So remember, Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio. Our whole team here, from Courtney to Karen and our college screens, we're thankful for. It's a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening.